it's just a complete other world which you never see, which I think is key for all insects. It's an amazing, amazing world, which is just right under our noses, under our feet, but you just never see it. And I think that's the real fascinating thing about insects for me. You're listening to Climate Curious, a podcast for people who care about the world, but find the current conversation about climate change confusing, boring or scary. My name is Marian Pasha, and I'm the director and curator at Telex London and co-host of this podcast, along with the amazing Ben Hurst. Say hello, Ben. Hey there, friends. I'm Ben Hurst, activist and advocate exploring what positive masculinities can look like, humble model and climate normie. Oakley Doakley. Hello, Mariam. Hello, Ben. <laughs> How are you today? I am excited to be recording this with you. It's, it is exciting. This is an exciting episode. Um, and I'm, I'm going to start us off with a question because I actually, I want to know how you feel about insects. How do you feel about bugs? Yes, it's a simple answer for me. I do <laughs> not like them. I'm actually really arachnophobic. Really? Uh, yeah, like seriously terrified of spiders like i have dreams horror dreams about them i'm not terrified of bugs but i i don't like them because i don't like insects either at all i'm not an insect person like you know there's some kids who are like oh yeah let me pick up the worm or, like, oh yeah no 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 i wasn't that kind of kid i was no. like the kid who was like mom can we boil those ants like i don't i don't <laughs> like them i don't want them near me and i was trying to like trace it back in my mind and think about where it comes from um, and I think my first memory of insects is like being stung by a bee, which is maybe where the kind of fear element comes from for me. But mm. there's something about them that's like, they're, they're just weird. Like they're just different. Loads of them have like skeletons on the outside. They have like too many legs. They're like dangerous, maybe venomous. Like I remember growing up and thinking, oh, if I get bitten by a spider, any spider, it will poison me. Um, ah. And I'm so I feel sorry. like we need to put a trigger warning <laughs> on our opening of this episode for people. I, yeah, I um, I wish I didn't feel this way about them, actually, because yeah. I feel like it limits me. Right. Okay. The only time that I've ever felt maybe slightly different about insects was when I watched Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Have you ever seen that, that film? Oh, yeah, I love that. Right? And you know there's, like, they all shrink down and then the giant ant is, like, trying to protect them and trying to save them. Oh, and it yeah. make it makes me wonder whether we are being slightly unfair. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I mean, you think absolutely. of insects as people, <laughs> I don't know, this is a weird direction to take this in. But if you think about insects as people, I wonder if we're maybe judging them too harshly. Why are we talking so much about insects, Ben? Why are we talking so much about insects? We're going to be talking to an insect expert today. So in fact, let me introduce our guest today. So our guest today is Will Hawks. And Will is... Uh, insect migration researcher and a scientist at the University of Exeter. His work basically involves following insects all around the world. He is like a a, a modern day explorer. Um, and you know, like when you were little and you used to have dreams of like climbing mountains and swimming down to the depths of the ocean and discovering new species of animals. Will is that guy. So I'm going to hand over to Will to introduce himself. Welcome, Will, to Climate Curious. <laughs> wow, thank you both. Um, yes, exactly. I'm pretty one-dimensional. I do love love insects. Uh, <laughs> but there's so many cool things. Like, Mariam, I know spiders aren't your potentially your cup of tea, but there is one species called a um, 
a nursery web spider which lives around here. It's got gorgeous sort of brown and orangey stripes on its back in order to come Oh my god, those are the ones I'm most terrified of. <laughs> you would have said that for any insect. <laughs> <laughs> any of them. But these ones live in grasses, so they're camouflaged for that. But they are such amazing mothers. Like they will have they carry their eggs in like this sort of very soft ball almost round with them. And then they'll make this web, which is very soft, and they make this sort of like a crash almost. And they lay, they put the eggs in there, they hatch, and it's this tiny little mess of web. <laughs> I can see your face, Mario. <laughs> the, um, and then, but then the mother will stay with them and guard them for like multiple, a few days until the little spiders are big enough to go out and make their own way in the world. And there's oh. proper like maternal. Um, care and insect. There's some there's some spider propaganda happening. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is this is so interesting because I, I feel like Will you're you're doing such a good job of describing them as like these cute little caring creatures who weave like soft webs and Mariam's face is like <laughs> no none of you can see it because it's a podcast <laughs> but she's not here for it. Okay. So I don't know I don't know if you're going to be able to change our minds today and that that is not your job. You don't have to change our minds but neither of us like insects. So I think we're going to start with the question, why should we care about Insect life really does like, underpin everything. So there's insects are pollinators, they're pest controllers, they help, say so they're helping in us get crops and things to eat. So birds eat them. The garden birds you have in your garden, which you love to see, the robins, the blue tits, mm. the wrens, they all eat insects. And so they wouldn't be there if not for the insects and... Yeah, it, there's they're kind of like this under underappreciated huge biomass of just things that work for the planet. Mm. How do you would you describe the role insects have with climate and climate change? They're so important because they with this changing climate, we're having so many new like habitats, new pressures as well. Um, coming in and insects because there's so many of them and their generation time is so quick which means they, they can really evolve quite quickly to exploit these new habitats and so insects are really important because they can they're so sort of flexible and they can continue to provide these roles um, in a way that potentially a mammal which only has a few children a few uh, offspring over the course of its life if an insect has so many like a hoverfly can lay 400 eggs because there's so many of them and have so many generations they can just adapt and evolve to this changing climate and so they can they're probably the ones that we can use to really help the planet going forward because they're so adaptable this is really interesting to me because i feel like there's this like narrative and I don't know where I've got it from so correct me if I'm wrong but there's this thing that like underpins my understanding of insects maybe it comes from like my understanding of cockroaches where it's like they will just outlast humans forever so is that idea of like um like cockroaches or or there's also like this narrative around bees right where like they are the thing that holds the whole world together and I don't know if that's true or not so I'm it's a, I'm genuinely asking a question um is it possible to like understate the importance of insects to like the the ecosystem or are they like would you say like they're the the pillar of everything like they're the most important thing 
I don't know if you could describe them as the most important thing, but they're without a doubt one of the most important things. And it's it's all a case of them all working together, though. So bees are obviously amazing and everybody loves bees there because they do so many things and they are probably the best pollinators in the world. But then there's loads of different fly species, beetle species, which also are very important pollinators. And yeah, I think the fact that you often don't see insects is a reason that mm. they're so understated. If, as we were, you were chatting earlier about that film, if we were all tiny, tiny little things, then seeing these ants protecting you or whatever, they then you kind of realise what a huge role these things are playing and how important they are. But although I'm saying all these positive things about how they've got such rapid generation times, there are so many of them, they can really help us uh, protect the planet. Even though they can do this, I don't think they're doing it fast enough to cope with the rapid change that humans are causing to the planet. And so they are in uh, somewhat, I don't know if crisis is too, too strong a word, but they're certainly under threat by our actions as humans. And so they do need a lot of uh, love and protection. So there's so there's like this link between climate and and insects. Well, there's that sounds like a dumb thing to say because I feel like what I've learned on this process so far is that there's a link literally between climate and everything. How does climate change impact? Does 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 if the climate changes really drastically, does that mean that insects are like wiped out? There, I think it is slightly more nuanced than a definite definite link. But there are examples of mm. insects being directly affected by climate change so as you said i work on um, insect migration and we think because of climate change because of uh, warmer temperatures for example um, these insects as they migrate they're coming into an area earlier potentially and that might be out of sync with birds nesting there's a study which looked at um, a species of butterfly called the monarch butterfly in in mm. the US and this is an amazing beautiful creature which migrates up and down um, America and um, over winters in California and Mexico and there's some thought that because of rising CO2 levels the milkweed plants which these butterflies feed on are actually becoming fairly unpalatable or slightly toxic for these butterflies and I don't know how much of this is actually affecting them but this, these migrations of and the populations of the monarchs are declining to some extent and that could be a reason but I think what I'm also saying is that we just don't know enough and it's quite sort of incredible to me in my work because we these insects move in such huge numbers but I'm still able to be this kind of Victorian explorer going to these places and discovering what they are. Well will you tell us a little bit you, you mentioned you like teased us with this idea of like Victorian explorer will you tell us a little bit about your work and what it entails and how you you do what you do? <laughs> so yeah oh, I absolutely love it I'm so lucky so um, <laughs> I uh, I grew up and I'm from northeast Wales and I uh, spent my life going around just grabbing insects out of the garden because <laughs> they're so easy and then like showing them to my family and just and that sort of in, inspired me this ability to go up and hold these insects which you can't really do with a bird or anything and then I went to uni down here in Cornwall at the University of Exeter did zoology and then the PhD in insect migration and it's this kind of wild I can't believe it's work really I get to go to two 
because the insect migration seasons each year are in spring and they're in autumn. And so in spring and autumn, I get field work and go in the springtime we go to Cyprus and in the autumn we go to the Pyrenees and I spend two or three months in each location um, each year and in the Pyrenees we're there because the insects get channeled through the mountains. So while they're, they're traveling literally around the world is it that they're pollinating different things because surely if if we as humans are like screwing the planet up or like making making uh climate change drastically in in certain areas or there's places where there's wet seasons and there's no longer wet seasons or there's places where there's meant to be ice and there's no longer ice there or whatever it might be does that then stop the insects from doing the things that they're supposed to do or do they just figure it out what's the impact there so the impact of humans on insect migration I think is going to be pretty much entirely based on habitat loss. So if you imagine a migratory insect has so far to go, it's not worth just having a single um, nature reserve in Cornwall, for example, for these insects. You've right. got to have the food for them right across their migratory loops. And this food, um, I mean, 100,000 years ago came from uh, just wildflower meadows and things like that across the world. Mm -hmm. and even um, in the last thousand or so years, it would become from farmers and farming and having flowers throughout the crops. And, but in recent years, we've been using pesticides a lot. And that basically completely takes out the food for these insects. Because if, even if you've got a field full of flowers, if they've been laced with pesticides, then it's obviously not great for these insects. And so habitat loss and the breaking up of these migratory flyways is I think one of the biggest threats that we that we see to these um, to these insects and they have such important roles as you're alluding to Ben like the pollination is just bees are really 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 good pollinators but mm -hmm. a lot of them don't have the migratory behavior and although a hoverfly can't carry as much pollen as a bee because there are so many of them and the fact that they move great distances is really important. So if you've got a flowering crop in the Middle East, and then in Cyprus you've got another flowering crop of the same species, then mm. this, say, keep with the marmalade hoverfly, will go to the, or start from the flowering crop in the Middle East, and then pick up lots of pollen because it's feeding, and then will fly across um, the sea to Cyprus, and then land on the same species of flowering crop. And this, um, and then, so it pollinates it, it allows the, the pollen goes on right. to this new one. And although a bee would stay in one place and pollinate um, just the flowers in the field from the flowers in the field, the same field, because this migratory hoverfly has moved such great distances, the diversity of genes contained within the pollen, which the migratory hoverfly is transferring, is far greater than the pollen that the bee would be transferring from the same field because the hoverflies right. come from so far away. And this is so important for crop health. So there is potentially one gene for drought resistance in many crop plants. And so this gene could be um, easily transferred within the pollen. This is just theory and just a potential thought that we're having and something we'd like to look at more um, in depth in the future. But the migratory insects 
could play a role in transferring the gene from the more southerly drought-resistant population into the more northerly one, and therefore helping the crop plant, or indeed any species of plant. And so, yeah, these insects could really have a very important role um, in combating climate change for these for these plants. I struggle to think of insects and view them as an important thing in and of themselves. Um, but when you start to talk about plants or crops that can uh, withstand drought, for example, right, like that makes a, a, like a massive difference. That's so interesting that like insects are what make that happen, like on a global scale. Um, and that they're so small as well, because you don't even see them doing it. So you, you, we literally don't notice that it's happening. Um, yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, the they are so small, but they are so numerous. So mm. where we go in in the Pyrenees, we see, and Cyprus, we see millions of insects coming over in just the space of what really boils down to a week or so of peak migration. We see millions of these insects coming through. But that pales in comparison to the true number which is happening. The sheer, sheer numbers of insects coming through is just unreal. And this has so many important things. So all this pollination is happening, um, which is very important. A load of insects like our marmalade hoverfly are pest controllers. But I think the most important role that these insects play is one that we don't know anywhere near enough about. And that is the role of nutrient transfer. And so these insects, we know that they migrate in huge numbers. And we also know they're multi-generational. So when they get into an area they want to lay their eggs, then they will, they will lay their eggs and then they'll die. And so their bodies go, if they're not eaten by a bird or something, then they'll go into the soil. And these insects contain nitrogen and phosphorus, which is really, really important for um, fertilising plants. And because these insects move in such huge numbers, we think that this global movement of biomass is possibly the most, or almost certainly, the most important terrestrial movement of biomass globally. And because all this nutrients is going into the soil, the plants might be actively relying on this regular seasonal movement of nutrients in order for them to maintain their own populations, order them to bloom or to maybe even grow. And, but we just don't know. We don't know enough about it. Mm. And mm. it just shows the need for more people to get involved with insects, to take an interest in them and just see how important they are. Because really without them, if they're not um, pollinating our food crops, like the bee, uh, the, or you can see the real effects of what happens if the insects decline so in china they're they're hand pollinating their fruit crops in some areas because the wild pollinators aren't there and so they've got teams of hundreds of people going along with little pollinator brushes hand pollinating the apple trees because the wild right. because the wild bees and the wild insect populations are no longer there and but we can't do that for the entire world like Imagine mm. how much money that would cost for just from an economic point of view. But and insects are playing this amazing role, but I don't not yet fully appreciated. I guess China is an extreme example, but if we're looking closer to home in, in terms of the research you've done or in the areas that you've been working in, um you still have these incredible numbers, right? Like that you're telling us. But 
are we seeing a decline? Are we seeing the impacts of, of, of the changing climate, whether we, whether we can directly correlate it or not? But well, what are you seeing in your research? So in my research world, in the world of insect migration, there has been recently a paper out by somebody called Gatter, and he has been working for the last 40 or 50 years on insects in southwest Germany and the migratory insects going through the mountains there. And by comparing the insects which eat aphids, which is the hoverflies and a lot of the other migratory species which rely on crop pests or crops and things like that, he's found that those insects from the 1970s to now have declined by 97%, which is just unreal. So we were seeing, it's just huge numbers. This is like we've seen um, maybe a, a few million, like under 10 million in the Pyrenees then that could be almost like a hundred million or more tens and tens of millions of things coming through which just 50 years ago and this just showing that things are moving too fast for the insects to keep up with and keep evolving and adapting to so they do definitely need our help and the numbers are properly scary i mean 97 percent is bad like that that's not a small change right like that can have major knock-on effect it feels like insects can play a much more significant role than we've actually until now realized because now that we're starting to to see these ideas of like if the birds are migrating they're obviously migrating maybe for food maybe these insects then if we disrupt these patterns that we can have quite major knock-on effects from the disruption of these patterns which is kind of what climate change is all about right is that like we can't we don't know enough to know what the changes will mean but they're probably going to be pretty bad and 97 percent feels like it could be pretty bad there's a little bit of precedence a little bit of evidence of what happens if we um cut off this migration and that comes from fish and the herring migration across around the north sea and these herring uh, uh, they migrate around the north sea they were just fish to almost extinction that overfish in the north sea and then suddenly the um, the shellfish uh, stocks just completely collapsed off the coast of Scandin yeah, Scandinavia and they didn't have a clue why this was and then they realised that these shellfish and lobsters and things like that were all actively relying on the movement of herring because they spawned off the coast of Scandinavia and so they released loads oh, of eggs man. and all the crabs and shellfish and everything they just went on and ate all the eggs and that sustained their populations and so this regular seasonal movement was relied upon by these shellfish and so obviously this has affected a load of human livelihoods and things and then so that, that's exactly the same thing that could happen or potentially is happening with the insects but also these herrings have since we realized this and stopped overfishing them they've started their migratory loop again and allowing the shellfish stocks to come back and that's exactly what can happen with the insects as well. As we said at the beginning, they're so resilient because they lay so many eggs that they have possibly the best chance of any animal group um, of really combating climate change and adapting to it. So there's a lot of hope there, definitely. And I think that the way that I'm feeling at the moment is like, oh, we're potentially stumbling upon a, a bit of a crisis here um that we weren't even aware of um and that still maybe 
researchers aren't fully aware of or there's more work to be done around that kind of stuff. And I'm wondering or what role I, as Ben, living in London, play in this and what things I can do to help the insects, even though I don't particularly like them. But what like what can I what can I do? Because it's because it's important, right? Like regardless of how I feel about them, like I think what I'm understanding and what I'm learning is that this their survival um is is really important and is also like much more intrinsically linked to my survival than I realized. So how do we help them survive? What can we do? Uh, I think I genuinely think it's such an easy answer i think the main thing is almost taking an interest i uh, david attenborough one of his quotes was what you don't know you can't love and i think this taking an interest is just so important people in the cities have such an important role as well as everyone everyone listening and that's by planting flowers if you can so if you're on your balcony planting things like so there's little plants like even chives and oregano, which have, and which you can eat, um, and they're great for so many insects. Little heathers, heathers are really good, and there's something called pulmonaria or lungwort, and loads and loads of bees love that, um, as well as other insects. Borage as well, but also seeing dandelions in your, uh, if you've got a little bit of lawn and dandelions are coming up, uh, definitely don't cut them because these like tiny little suns just attract the insects in and just walking around um, down here in Falmouth a, a month or so ago everything was crowding onto these dandelions because they're such important early spring resources and there's been some research recently showing that there's actually a greater variety of bees in urban areas than there are in in rural areas because there's so many of these tiny microhabitats because humans are doing so well at putting these plants on their balconies and attracting these insects in. And the people at the um, the species list in the Natural History Museum's garden, in, right in the middle of London, is just absolutely insane what they get because there's just such a variety of plants there which is so important for these migratory insects. So doing that, eating organically um trying to maybe put pressure on the councils to stop cutting verges too much and appreciating the wildflowers rather than just the flat green lawns is very important it's just a complete other world which you never see which i think is key for all insects this amazing amazing world which is just right under our noses or under our feet but you just never see it and i think that's the real fascinating thing about insects for me you know what I love listening to you, Will? Um, f- first, I definitely want to become like a migratory stop for bugs. Like, I'm really into this idea of like using my tiny little windowsill to be like a stop on the highway of the migration journey. Given that I like spent so much of my life working on human migration, I feel like I should just get into this. But you, you know what I love? And I don't know if, Ben, you feel the same way, given that we both have a dislike of insects when we call them insects, um, is... Every time I hear you speak, well, I feel like all I can hear is this incredible love and appreciation and fascination mm. that you have for these creatures and listening to you love them and be enthralled by them makes me want to know more about them. And I think that's what you're talking about, right? Like there's the physical things you can do, but if you are, you know, it's just, it, it becomes easier to care about them when you hear about 
them talked about in such an interesting way. That is completely the point. I don't know, going out telling your neighbours, you had a marmalade hotfly, you had a cabbage white butterfly or peacock, whatever butterfly coming into your your little patch of flowers and then having it as yours and then telling someone else, making them want to do the same thing. I mean, yeah, like I would love, I would love, for example, for listeners to plant some of the, the, the species that you were talking about, the flowers and the oregano and the chives and the heathers and stuff, take little photos of those plants yes. and send mm. them to us. Yes, definitely. Right. Cause we'd love to see what listening to this has inspired you to do. Okay. It's time. <laughs> it is time Woo! for our climate confessions. And now it's time for our climate confessions. Let's fess up to the bad habits we just can't kick. What is the thing that you do um, that maybe you shouldn't necessarily be doing? Um, what is something that you maybe struggle with? And I think the reason that we do this is because it can be really easy for us to um, think that there are people who have just got it perfect, right? Think that there are there's like a, a binary of either you're doing the good stuff or you're doing the bad stuff and there's no in between. Um, and I think actually the conversation is probably a lot more nuanced than that. So we're interested to know if you have a climate confession today yeah. oh there's so many things i do wrong but i think the main daft thing i do is that i really love running and i also have a favorite type of um running shoe uh and also the company that makes them are really really nice and they've got great customer services service but they also have a six month warranty. And so my plan at the moment, which has been going on for about three years, I'm definitely not going to name the company because they will never sell no. another one, is that I <coughs> run as hard as I can to to wear them out within the six months. And these are plasticky running shoes. And <laughs> until they completely lose their grip and they've, uh, they break the, the, the canvas or whatever on top, and then just before the six months is up, I send a very sweet email saying, I love your shoes, they're so good. But unfortunately, uh, I, is this right? Is the... And then because they're Wheel. so nice, they always say, oh, it's fine, we'll send you another pair out. And it's been going on for like three years now, and I'm feeling oh, really guilty my... about it. You're a supervillain. You're an insect supervillain. That is so bad. No, that's fine. It's not so bad. It's okay. Thank you for being honest. The judgment, Ben. The judgment. I'm so sorry. You're only judging Ben because you didn't think of doing this first. I know, I know. I'm definitely going to do it as well. It's on my... No, that's not what this segment is for. I'm not going to do that anymore. Thank you, Will, for sharing that. Marin, do you... Oh, <laughs> I was going to ask you if you have one. Um, I do have one. Um, it's more of a conundrum that I'm facing, like mm. a climate conundrum. So just as, as I was about to transition to wooden toothbrushes, um, I discovered electric toothbrushes. Mm. And now I'm in love with electric toothbrushes and I can never transition back to a brush that I have to like manually move up and down because yeah. why were we doing that for so long <laughs> like obviously a machine should do it so now i'm uh, this is like a plea for any inventors can you please create recyclable electric toothbrush heads because i would like to not keep throwing them away um 
yeah, that's that's where I'm at right now with these like moments where I've I know I've been I've been tempted by the plastic version and I know I shouldn't be. Oh my gosh. That do you know what? I'd never even considered that, that was a that was a thing. Like I I use an electric toothbrush and I hadn't realised that changing that is such a waste of well, I feel Sorry, bad ben. about myself, I guess. <laughs> Any, anyone I thought you, I'd escaped it. <laughs> yeah, anything you've got for us this week? No, I don't I don't think I have anything this you've week. You've had a perfect I, week, I feel Excellent. like I've transcended to the... But obviously not, because using electric toothbrush heads is bad. <laughs> so, so, so you can use my confession this week. Yeah, I'm going to okay. use yours this week. But I think this has highlighted that I've got a, maybe some stuff to be more aware about, right? Like, maybe it's some of the stuff that I think is fine that's actually not fine. Which is really I think we've all just got a bit of a plastic addiction. That's and it's, yeah. and it's hard to kick because the alternatives aren't there. But that's a whole other episode. Well, we'll get there. We will get there. Okay. Well, Will, thank you so so much for joining us, and thank you for sharing your passion and your joy and your love of insects with us. I can't say that I'm converted, but I can definitely say that I'm going to be. Um, making a, a little pit stop for some more insects in my garden um and hopefully they'll come and and pollinate my plants for me um and take some pollen around the world to other places that i didn't know that they did but thank you so much for coming and for sharing um and for talking with us ben you could come on a uh, on an insect hunt with me whenever i'm in london we'll go to we'll get the and we'll get the natural history museum boys involved as well and then you'll yeah. really see how nerdy and actually amazing it is. And then I'm actually going to do it. Go, go for a beer. I'm as so well. jealous. I'm Marian, definitely come coming. On. It'd be oh, it's so good. As long as you protect me from the spiders. Perfect. No spiders. Yeah. Only only <laughs> other insects. <laughs> We're committed. We're going to do it. We're going to no, do it. Thank you. Oh. Thank you. I'm absolutely honoured to be on this. I love it. So thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Will. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate, subscribe and share this episode with a curious friend. It makes us possible to keep making this amazing content for you. Oh, and slide into our DMs at TEDx London and let us know which climate extraordinaires you'd love to hear from next time. Oh, and don't leave yet. We wanted to tell you a bit more about who made this podcast possible. Yeah, we did. TEDx London's headline partner, City, has been supporting us for the past five years to bring world-changing ideas to the TEDx London stage. And now they're taking it to the next level by making this podcast possible. Thanks, City. But wait, that is not all. No, this podcast was produced by the amazing Josie Coulter. Curation and research by the genius Tara Cooper. Artwork designed by the visionaries that are Sabrina Russo and Rebecca Mingus. Mixed and engineered by the iconic Ben Beheshti, a.k.a. The Falcon, who also composed our banging theme tune. Presented by me, Marion Pasha. And by me, Ben Hurst. Stay curious.